0: Thank you very much. Wow. good morning, Journey. How you doing? Come on. How you doing this morning? You saw the announcements there from Greg that uh, their first informational meeting, their vision meeting for the new church was on Tuesday, and I got a text from him Tuesday night showing all the people that were at that first uh, vision meeting for the church that you helped start, and I had one problem with the text, the picture of the living room that he was in, uh, with all the people was the Christmas tree was already up and it's like come on. So um, so uh, he said that's the way it goes. He said that was one of five trees up in their house. So he's got issues apparently or she does and we'll won't we'll get into that. Well I want to thank you uh, for uh, having me here today but also for your investment in church planting through Renew and churches after that. Waypoint uh, serves in uh, states of Maryland, Virginia, North and South Carolina. In the last five years, we planted church all the way down the mid-Atlantic like that. And over the last 30 years, since 1990, we have helped to plant 51 new churches, including this one in the spring. So we're glad that you're a part of that. My wife, Lisa, is over here, and she and I helped start two of the churches that are on that map. Both of them started in movie theaters, and so our kids growing up never did church like in like a church. They always did church somewhere else. So when we go to like a church building, they're like, what's this? You know, because they're used to sticking to the floor at church, and that's kind of normal at a movie theater. And so we love new churches, and I love this church. We love this church, and we're, we're glad to be a part of it here this morning. And so one thing that... Um, we're really excited about is not only did you guys get started uh, here in March, but you've already helped to start another church. In September, we started a church called Lake Springs Church in Holly Springs, North Carolina. And so you've helped be a part of that because your church uh, supports Waypoint and what we're doing. And so this next year, you're going to be starting two new churches, not only the one with Greg Coverdale who preached here in August in the summer that that, uh, you got to see. Um, And so that's in Durham, but then there's going to be another church uh, that's be starting in Ashland, Virginia, in September as well. Ashland is the northern suburbs of Richmond, and so. But then there'll be another church, and another church, and another church that you're going to be a part of, because you're part of Waypoint Church Partners, and uh, so we're we're thankful for that and. One thing that we're really proud of is that we're not starting churches just to be starting churches, but that we're starting churches that are going to reach new people for Christ, that we're going to change their eternities because of their involvement in a new church. And one metric for that is the stories, uh, the dozens and dozens of stories of life change, people that are uh, getting baptized, at, at where they're putting their stake in and saying, I'm all in for God. And uh, and so last year during COVID, uh, up to January of, of this year, but the previous year during COVID, the churches that were on that map, celebrated, get this, 403 baptisms collectively. And that was in a weird year. Normally that number is approaching seven, 800 people that are baptized per year. We're pretty excited that this year, once we tabulate all the, the baptisms that are going to happen here in 2022, that we're going to include all the baptisms that have happened at this church in our big number. There's been 13 so far here at Journey, and those are going to be counted in our big number. I know that I'm going to get to preach here next summer, and so I'll be excited to tell you what that big number is, but all of you that have been baptized uh, here at Journey since are going to be included in that number. So we're really proud of that and excited about that. Well, what's really cool is that you're part of a fraternity of new churches that uh, kind of look out for each other. They take care of each other. They help each other. And and they are um, helping all of them collectively uh, as James described, with the way that we start up churches, that uh, we help with. Uh, Waypoint helps new churches with funding, but also with coaching and training. Get collecting and organizing all the gear required to set up on Sunday morning, uh, and then an on, on oversight team to make sure that the church planter is. Uh, has wisdom and accountability set up for him as he leads, and a number of other things. And it's the churches that have already started that kind of contribute to that to make uh, to make sure that the next one uh, is able to start, and the next one, and the next one, and the next one. And it's kind of like that old movie. Um, it's a classic movie now, way back in 2000, which is like ancient now, right? Is uh, Did you ever see that movie, Pay It Forward, uh, with um, Helen Hunt and Haley Joel Osment and, and others? But the uh, this isn't a spoiler alert, but the kind of the, the plot of the movie is when someone does something good for you, you don't pay them back. You do something good for the next person to pay it forward. You don't pay it back. You pay it forward. And that's kind of what all of our church plants are doing together is is churches do good something to help the next church get started. And rather than paying it back, they're paying it forward. You're paying it forward to help the next church and the next church and the next church to get started just like this one. And so we're glad that you're a part, you're a part of that. Because uh, today you're, I don't know if you realize it, but you're kind of sitting in the sacrifice of others. You're, you're, you're standing on the shoulders of others. Churches that got started, whether it was two years ago or five years ago or ten years ago, uh, they, uh, the bulk of the funding that we give to the new churches that get started comes from uh, our new churches that we have already helped started. We've got old established churches that support us as well. We've got one church that supports us that was started in 1775 that church is older than America. Uh, but most of the churches that give to us are the new churches that catch this vision for we're going to pay it forward. We're going to be a part of what God's doing through the ministry of new churches. And, uh, and you're standing on the shoulders of those churches. And uh, so uh, there were people before Journey who gave sacrificially to help this church get started. And when you give to Journey, you continue that cycle. A portion of your collective offerings, like James said. Is, is, is given outside of this church and one of the big ways that that's for is for paying it forward to the next new church and so this morning I want to kind of talk about this one concept to get us launched into the conversation and that is I want to challenge all of us as a church collectively, for Journey Collectively but really more importantly for every person in this room, I want to challenge you to be an upper story person to be an upper story person so you probably wondering, what, what what does that mean? Well, have you ever had one of those professors that uh, can really teach, like our teacher? Maybe he was in high school or in college. And when they taught, you almost forgot to take notes because you were just listening to what they said, or you know, or when they when they were talking, your mouth was just hanging open because they were just dropping the knowledge on you, and you just were. You're probably thinking, I never had a teacher like that, right? Well, I had at least one, and he was in college, and. Uh, it was when I was in seminary my freshman year, and the class that, the, the courses that this fellow taught, Dr. Hooks, was, of all things, Old Testament. And you would think that the Old Testament would be, kind of be like a boring topic. But when he taught, you, you lean forward in your chair. And so early on in my freshman year, I had one of those eureka moments where he taught this idea about the upper story. And everything changed the way I looked through Scripture and looked about, at, about my life because of this teaching. And it's kind of like when you get a new set of sunglasses. Have you ever had sunglasses that are like polarized or blue blockers? And when you put them on, even though they're shaded, everything looks clearer and even brighter because you have put them on. And that's kind of like what it was. I put these new lenses on through which I see the world and what I see what God's doing. And it's because he said, you have to understand that about the upper story. He said, when you read scripture, there are two stories happening all the time. There's the lower story, first of all. That's what's happening with us humans. It's what we—it's the life through which we see uh, what's going on in the world, the way we experience it. It's history. It's what's going on every day in our everyday lives. But at the very same time, there is the upper story of what God is trying to accomplish. And he is always at work. And most of the time... That's invisible. We don't even see what's going on. But God is always at work in his upper story, accomplishing his purposes through nations and through history and through people and through churches. But most of the time it's invisible unless we have these lenses on that we can see what God is doing in the upper story. And when you understand that, for me, it was just like, and you can look at Scripture then through a whole new set of lenses because you see how the Bible kind of explains the upper story that God is always up to. And so, uh, for for example, I want to look at this one passage that I think it's one of my favorite passages in Scripture. It's it's in Second Corinthians chapter four, and the Apostle Paul is encouraging these new Christians. Uh, he's they're at a new church. It's just a couple years old. It's not not a whole lot older than this this church, and they're they're trying to be believers, but they're going through struggles and difficulties and persecution. And the way that he tries to encourage them is he challenges them to be upper story people. So here's the scripture. It's one of my favorite. He says, therefore, we don't lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Here's the deal. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen. That's the lower story, isn't it? We we don't fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. That's the upper story. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. The lower story is temporary, isn't it? And so we can get through our troubles and struggles because the upper story, what God is doing in the world and in our lives, is eternal. That's the upper story. And so that's one passage of Scripture where you see the upper story and the lower story. And so I want to challenge all of us to be upper story people today, to begin to see the lower story, our everyday lives, through the lenses of what God is doing for the purpose that God has for your life and what he wants to accomplish over time. But not only do I want to challenge uh, us to recognize the upper story, but to begin to pray upper story prayers to begin to pray. You become an upper story person when you begin to pray upper story prayers. There was this one time uh, early in his ministry that Jesus had these followers that had obviously never read the Bible before, and they were kind of new to this following Jesus thing. And so they came up to him and said, Jesus, could you teach us how to pray better? We don't know how to pray. And so Jesus teaches them how to pray. And the Bible records for us in his biography uh, from one of his friends named Matthew, how Jesus explained, and it's in the middle of this sermon called the Sermon on the Mount, and he teaches them a model prayer. This is kind of how you should be praying if you want to pray. And some, for some of us, it's very familiar uh, where Jesus says, uh, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's kind of the salutation. There's not a whole lot there other than, hey, God, we're, we're praying now. But the very first principle Jesus gives when he teaches people how to pray, they said, Jesus, we got to know how to pray. Do you know what the first principle was? He said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus said, if you want to pray, pray upper story prayers. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. When Jesus was asked, how do we pray? He said, pray upper story prayers. Yeah. At the very end of his ministry, the night before he was crucified, uh, there's another example of this. And uh, Jesus had just had uh, the final meal, the last supper with his followers. And then knowing what was going to happen, he, he walked off into this garden, uh, kind of a city park. And he in the middle of the night and he's praying because he knows what's coming the next day. And in the middle of that prayer, The Bible records for us that Jesus said, Father, if it's your will, take this cup from me. That's the lower story. Jesus knows physically what's coming. He said, I don't want to do this in the lower story. He says, but not my will, but your will be done. That's an upper story prayer, isn't it? Not my will, but your will be done. And so to become upper story people, we have to start praying Upper story prayers. So we could use those two blanks from Jesus. We got these blanks. Father, not my will, but your will be done. Father, not my dreams, but your dreams be done. Father, not my morals and my ethics. That's lower story. It's your morals and your ethics. That's what I'm going to do. That's the upper story. It's not my destiny, what I want to do. It's what you want to do with my life. That's an upper story prayer. It's not what I care about that matters. It's what you care about that matters. That's an upper story prayer. It's not my kingdom, little K. It's your kingdom, big K, capital K. That's what matters. It's not your, it's not my kids. Have you ever thought about this? They're your kids. That's an upper story prayer. It's not my possessions, all my stuff and all my money and everything I've got. It all belongs to you. That's an upper story prayer. And we become upper story people when we start praying upper story prayers. And so I, w- I want to talk about that last one for a minute. Uh, when you're an upper story person, you understand that all your possessions belong to God. You're in this uh, series that you've been in for a few weeks called Circle Makers and, um, and talking about generosity and giving. And when you understand that God owns it all, it changes everything. Your lenses that you put on, all of a sudden your lenses are seeing the upper story of what God is at work, and you get to partner with Him, be a part of that with Him on commission with Him. So this morning, for a few minutes, I want to take the look together at a passage in the Bible that teaches, I think in the most simple, practical terms, just the, the, uh, a teaching about church's giving. And it's from the same dude, the Apostle Paul, who did that uh, verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, same church. But it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. It's at the very end of the first letter that he wrote to them. And there's these four verses. I just want to go phrase by phrase. And the reason I want to use them is because they were a new church just like this one, just a couple years old. And apparently they had written their church planter. He'd already moved on and was starting more churches uh, elsewhere. And they had written him a series of questions about how they should be doing church because they were all new. At, church hadn't been invented yet until basically they got started. So they couldn't go look at the church down the street on how to do church. Church was new. And so they wrote, the apostle Paul said, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And he answers all of those questions systematically throughout this, this letter. And the very last chapter, apparently he's ask, answering a question that they asked about, so what's the deal with giving and how should we do that? And so he just gives them some real practical teaching about giving. And I want to talk about that uh, verse, uh, kind of phrase by phrase this morning. So here's the, here's the verses. Uh, he said, um, concerning the collection of the saints, about giving. On the first day of the week, let everyone lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And when I do come, whoever you approve by your letters, I'll send it to bear your gift to Jerusalem, but if it's fitting that I go also, they'll go with me. So the first verse is highlighted, or the first phrase is highlighted there on the first day of the week, all right? Paul wanted their giving to be systematic, to be regular, not random, not not all over the place. He wanted it to be systematic. And it's not about the first day of the week, in my opinion. Back in those days, you were paid daily or weekly, and so if you went to church every week, it made sense that you would give every week. But, but in our culture, we're often paid, if not weekly, every other week, or I'm paid once a month. But the idea here is that you pay regularly, that you give regularly. All right, that uh, that that's the principle that the Apostle Paul is teaching. My wife and I um, have an automatic. Debit that goes out from our bank account first week of the month to our church, and uh, they can count on us. You know, they can, they know it's coming. They they can depend on us. They can take it to the bank, pun intended, right? So uh, so they know it's coming, and that's the principle that the apostle Paul teaches. It's on the first day of the week, regular. Second phrase: Let each one of you lay something aside. And so, who's supposed to give? He says, everybody. We're all in this together. It's not just a couple people that support the whole church, that all of us give. And because, because giving is a spiritual discipline. There are spiritual disciplines like praying or fasting or journaling or silence or solitude. And giving is a spiritual discipline. For me, it's hard to give because I'm stingy. And so it is a discipline to make sure we give every month. And the Apostle Paul says everybody uh, should give. And the reason why we do that is because we are made in the image of God, and we reflect the image of God, and God at his core is a giver. I know James last week highlighted this one verse that said that, um, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. At his core, God is a giver, and we reflect that as we practice the spiritual discipline of giving. And so if you haven't given yet to this church whether you've been coming a long, a long time, well, you can't be much a long time other than March, but whether you've been coming several weeks or one week, yeah. I want to encourage you to start thinking about giving because it's a spiritual discipline, and you can do that uh, through the app. There's a little black box over here in the lobby. In our old church, we used to call it the toaster because uh, there was just one slot. It was a one-bread sl- toaster, but there's a slot there you can put it in, um, and you can, you can give through the, the app. But I want you to, to and here's why, because giving says that I'm an upper story person. I'm connecting with what God is trying to do in this world, and I do that as I give. Apostle Paul said everyone should give. Next next phrase, said let every one of you lay something aside, storing it up. And the element of this idea is that coming to church with your, you should come to your church already decided what you're going to give that you should do that at home and that you should pray about it and think, God, what, what do you want me to give? And that's a discipline that you do at home. You make the decision. And so that avoids the temptation on two directions here at church. One would be the temptation that you could get your arm twisted and guilted. If some dude comes and preaches about giving and you feel like you're being guilted into giving, you can say, I already gave online. And so you got an out, Right. And, but the other one is that you're also uh, not only tempted not to get your arm twisted, but you don't—you're not tempted to make giving just kind of like a tip for services received. You know what I'm talking about? Like Pastor James, that was an awesome sermon today. I'm putting 100 bucks in the offering because the problem is, is next week when he doesn't preach so good, you're like mm, 20 bucks, right? <laughs> or sometimes you hear a sermon, it's like that dude owes me money for being here. That's how bad the sermon was, right? Well, when you decide at home, this is how I'm connecting with what God's doing in the world. This is how I'm connecting with the upper story is by supporting what he, he values and he cares about. That you're not, you don't fall temptation to either side of the aisle. All right, what's the next one? As he may prosper. The principle here is real simple. Believers who make more should give more. That there's, there's an element of proportionality here. That if you make a little, you give proportion to what you make, and if you make a lot, you make you make proportion to what you make. And uh, that's kind of tricky when you kind of set up your, your gift at the beginning of the month, because then if you get a raise next year, you got to remember to go into your automatic payment that we have to do around Christmas time and make sure that our, our regular gift every month is proportionate to what we're making. Because God set up this idea of the tithe, and I don't even know what the word tithe means, James referred to it a while ago tithe just means tenth, it's a fraction it's proportional. And I remember when I started our first church 25 years ago, uh, I was having lunch with this dude that had just started coming to our church, a young fella in his 20s, uh, but he was an entrepreneur. And he was flipping houses before flipping houses was a thing. And he, owned like, he was like flipping 40 houses simultaneously. And, and I, when he pulled up to uh, the restaurant that we ate at, I saw at the window, he was driving a really nice car. And so he was, he was doing really well. And so, but he had lunch with me because he said, I want to get serious about my faith for the first time. So we're talking about all kinds of stuff. And then finally he says to me, so tell me, explain this whole tithing thing. What's the deal with that? I said, it's real easy. God just wants everybody to give a, a tenth of what they make to back to him to be part of his upper story, to support what he cares about. And he looked at me, and he, and he said to me, I'll never forget, he said, I make way too much to tithe. And he looked like a pretty smart guy. He was good with spreadsheets and financing and all that kind of stuff. But he didn't understand this very simple principle of proportionality that we all give proportionate to what we make because we're all in this together as the body of Christ. And so that's the element here uh, is that as you prosper, you give. The next one is that there be no collections when I come. Paul didn't want to manipulate anybody. He wanted their giving to come from their heart, from the way their hearts were being touched by God, not in response to some high-pressure, arm-twisting fundraising program. Then in verse 3, he says, whomever you approve by your letters, I'll send him to, to get the gift that you're going to send to Jerusalem. So number one, they were sending some money to help another church in another town, like Durham or Ashland or wherever the next church is going to be. And he said, you can pick who sends, who sends the gift. And what the principle here is, you've got to be above financial reproach. He said, if you need to send someone along when I take the gift so I don't get some money and take it out so that I can eat at Moe's on the way there uh, and, and take it a little bit out, he said, send someone with me. And you need to know that all the churches that we start with Waypoint, we set up uh, internal structures that make sure that the church is above financial reproach that there are systems in place that James is held accountable by the oversight team to make sure that the bookkeeper uh, takes care of all the finances here. And there are systems set in place in our bylaws for uh, credit cards and how they're used and what credit limits there are and how payroll is done and how all the money is handled because we need every church to be above financial reproach. And we learn this from the Apostle Paul saying, I'm going to be that way. If you don't trust me to take your offering to the next church, send somebody with me and they 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 can watch. The last one here is, he says, that you can bear your gift to Jerusalem. So they're sending some money to help this other church in another town. And the word, the Greek word for the word gift here is kind of interesting. Throughout the Bible, there's several words that use for offering or your sacrifice that you give to God or offering. But the Greek word here is the word charis. It's It's the word throughout scripture that's for the word grace. Like God gives his grace to us. And the Apostle Paul says, the money you're sending to help this other church is a grace. It's a freely offered gift. There's no strings attached. We just want to help that other church. We've been impacted by God's grace, and so we give by giving some grace to this next church. Isn't that fascinating? There's other words he could have used for offering or contribution or gift. And he said, you're giving a grace because of the grace you've received. So let's let's kind of wrap up this morning with a couple of real life pay it store pay it forward upper story uh, stories that I, that you're kind of a part of that that I think are great and uh, and so when my wife my wife's over here we've been married 35 years this year and uh, which just means we're old and uh, back when we were first married there was this song that was. Um, the number one song, it won the Dove Awards, which is the award for the biggest gospel music song of the year. And it was a song just named uh, Thank You. And it was sung by this dude that had this epic mullet mustache combo. We've got a picture of him right there. He's rocking the mullet right there, Eddie. That's when we were married, right there. That, that would make Billy Ray Cyrus jealous, right there, wouldn't it? Well, this song became an instant. Uh, classic hit. It, this, his song, Thank You, was actually sung at Mother Teresa's funeral. And the idea of this song is you're, you're up, it's the first day you're up in heaven, and you're walking around with a buddy looking at heaven for the very first time, and all of a sudden, someone comes up to you and shakes your hand, and they say thank you. And you're kind of puzzled because you don't even know who they are. And, uh, and they said, Remember that time a missionary came to your church and told us stories, and like, like the pictures from one child in the Dominican, and you, you, you cried because of what you saw? And he says, You didn't have a whole lot of money back then, but you gave. And because you gave, I'm now in heaven. Thank you. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I'm a life that was changed. I'm so glad you gave. And then it says, you turn around and there there was this line that now was stretched as far as the eye could see and people were there waiting to shake your hand, people you didn't know. And they told story after story after story of the sacrifices you made, the things that you'd done, and that people that you didn't even know who they were were there to shake your hand and say, thank you. Thank you for giving because I'm a life that was changed. Thanks for giving to the Lord. So I want you to meet Isela. Isela... is one gal, she was invited to, her, to church by her friend Karina, and it was a new church, one of the ones that just started this past year in uh, Goldsboro, North Carolina, Canvas Church. And Isella told her friend, I do not want to go to church. Uh, I don't like church. She said, I grew up Catholic, and to me, church just means rules and judgment. You know what I mean? Anybody feel that? She said, I'm going to go to church. But because her friend invited her, she didn't go. She checked them out online, and she noticed they had a young pastor with a lot of tattoos, and she said, this seems a little different. Can you imagine a church with a pastor with a lot of tattoos? <laughs> I don't know where we're finding one of those. So, so she thought it looks a little different, so she went to church, and she absolutely loved it. And uh, she joined a community group. She started helping in the kids' ministry, and Isella is a single mom. And what she really was impacted by was that they not only started loving on her, but they started loving on her little boy. And Isela says she had never read the Bible before. She's just doing whatever in life, but, but spirituality was not on her radar until her friend invited her to church. And she says, now I'm reading the Bible with my son, and I'm teaching him what I'm learning at church. And so today, this Sunday morning, Isella is being baptized at Canvas Church. And, the best part of the story is that today is the first anniversary of her being sober. And she says I'm giving my life to Christ. Today things change. And you're a part of that story as you give to Waypoint, you're paying it forward. You're being part of God's upper story about what he's doing in the world. In spite of all the stuff that's going on in the world, I can be a part of that through his upper story. And when you give to your church regularly, every month, uh, and, a, and that church invests in something bigger than themselves, when your church is an upper story church, there will be stories like hers. Maybe in heaven when someone comes up and shakes your hand and says, thank you for giving to the Lord. I'm a life that was changed. Let me tell you about Mike. I want you to meet Mike. Mike had been an alcoholic for almost his whole life. He said he started drinking when he was a teenager. and Back then it was all for fun, but he kept drinking just a to uh, dull the pain of all the disappointments and regrets in life. And uh, it got so bad that uh, one day he said he was in Motel 6 and he drank a whole bottle of Jim Beam ready to end his life. But it didn't work. So he finally woke up, and for the first time 10 years ago, he checked himself into a rehab program, and he tried all the different rehab programs, all the different recovery programs, and none of them would work. He'd fall off the wagon. And then Mike says, uh, finally, he decided to give Jesus a try. He had tried every recovery program except the ones with Jesus involved. And he said, when I finally started trusting Jesus, my life started to change. So he started going to a church near, nearby. He, was at this, he w- went to this rescue mission, and they had uh, this uh, program called Change Lives, and he started reading the Bible every day as part of the program. And he was reading the Bible, and he he read this part about being baptized and what it's all about. And he thought, I I think I'm ready to make that decision, to give my life fully to God, to die to myself and live for Christ. And so he went to the church that he had started attending and said, I think I'm ready to get baptized. And they said, no, baptism is not a big deal for us. It's not on our radar right now. And Luke, his, his caseworker, realized how much that had crushed him because he was ready to to make this significant decision in his life. And uh, he said, well, I heard this other new church that's meeting in the middle school down the street. Let's call them. And so they called Collective Church, which is one of our church plants in Frederick, Maryland. And they asked him, we got this guy that thinks he wants to get baptized. Would you talk to him? So Michael Bartlett, our church planter, also with tattoos, met with him and realized he was ready to get baptized. And so on Easter Sunday, this year, this spring, not long, not too far from when you guys started, Mike was baptized at Collective Church. Yeah. And when he got baptized, um, the these are guys from the rescue mission that were part of it. He, he hugged the pastor all wet, who's, who, who's a, not a touchy-feely guy. It, <laughs> he hugged him all wet, and he said, I am never leaving this church. And, um, and so... Uh, that was this spring, but, but this summer, they started having so many kids. During COVID, they, had to, they lost their middle school, and they had to build out their own commercial space, and uh, they didn't have enough kid space uh, by the end of the summer, and so they had to build out the next area of their commercial space for kids. And when they did the little capital campaign to build out space for their kids, Mike gave the first check. Is a $1,000. Mike doesn't have any kids. But he wanted to be a part of the upper story of what God was doing through their church. And uh, so um, today is Mike's second anniversary of being sober as well. And um, you need to know that when you give, it's not out of compulsion, it's not out of guilt, it's a spiritual discipline. It's because, you want to be a, because you're an upper story person and you're part of an upper story church. Yeah. And an upper story church is going to invest in what God cares about and what God is up to in the world. And when you give, that's what you're a part of. So I want to thank you for being that kind of a church. It's the kind of church we want to start. But maybe you're in this room this morning and you're thinking, maybe I need to get baptized or I need to talk to someone about what it means to get baptized. And so, after the service, there'll be some people out here in the lobby with the blue hoodie, and you can talk to them. And, uh, but for the rest of us, we're going to transition to a time of communion. And uh, communion is a special time in the church service because it's a time we remember the intersection of the upper story with the lower story. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, He sent Jesus from heaven. And Jesus came and became part of the lower story. But there's more to that verse. Most of us know John 3.16. You know John 3.17. God didn't send his son in the world to condemn the world, but, through, but to save the world through him. That's the upper story. That God is about saving people, not to condemn them. And when we take communion, the little bit of bread, the cracker that you've got there, and the juice that you've got in the cup, you're remembering Jesus' death on the cross where the upper story became our lower story and died for us. So I'm gonna pray for that and that you can take communion as you'd like. Father, we thank you that you invite us to be part of your story. That you invite us to break out of the everyday life of our lower story and to partner with you for what you're trying to accomplish in this world. I'm thankful for this church that is an upper story church. Right now, we thank you for Jesus. Left heaven, came to earth. And even though lower story, he didn't want to go to the cross because he was upper story. He said,